Hello and welcome to Genius Hack. Welcome. It's Episode Tuesday. whatever it is at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's such a milestone. We've made so many that we don't know yeah, anymore. We forget what we're on. That's that's somehow a good thing. That's not laziness. That's a sign you're doing good. Doing good. <laughs> is that what that is? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, great show today. We have a really interesting interview later on today. Yeah. Um, we will be basically we're talking about AirSat One. Mm-hmm. We will have Professor William O'Connor, 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 <laughs> O'Connor, <laughs> on to speak to us today about AirSat One. Yeah, uh, absolutely fantastic interview. It was really enjoyable and so exciting to see Ireland kind of taking part in. I suppose like a, a space race of sorts. Yeah, like I it's mean, not a race at the moment because I mean, we're, we're all doing anybody. different things. But um, like to have our name out there and to be doing something so meaningful it's really exciting yeah. it's like it's a space race we can't lose because everybody wins <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep it's like one of these modern nobody can lose space races yeah um, oh, those claw machines those win every time claw machines there's win every time claw machines yeah I mean it's generally sweets or like a really rubbish keyring that's probably broken as soon as it comes out of the thing but it's still the gratification that you won that's something barely a claw machine yeah, but it's still a gratification that you won. But it's not. It's just being handed something. It's a present. Actually, a little side <laughs> note. I'm kind of great at claw machines. Like, I have, like, unrivaled determination. I decided I wanted to get this little Christmas wolf from a claw machine across, like, across the road. And I got it. I was like, I decided, I was like, I'm getting that wolf. I'm getting that Christmas wolf. And my friend's like, don't waste your money. I was like, no, I'm only going to do it once. I'm going to get that wolf. What did I do? First first try, got the little Christmas wolf with the little Christmas candy cane, and I was the happiest gal walking home. But what you didn't know was that was one of those win every time claw machines. <laughs> you never had a chance. No, I've never been very good at them. I don't think I've ever won a claw machine. I'll hook you up. Okay. I need like, but and over the next coming weeks, it will do like a Rocky montage. No, the background, we'll get a machines. shelf. We'll get a shelf, and the background will just... <laughs> Just slowly grow. Everybody can be prized as I've won on claw machines. Yeah, I'm. I'm absolutely just imagining though, like this whole Rocky montage that we do over the over the course of a few weeks, like the training montage. Yeah, where it's just like you know, the, the stereotypical. You're there in a tracksuit with a towel around your shoulders, and I'm there like trying to work out how to do this claw machine and somehow breaking it. And yeah. That's that's how that's what it's going to be. I we, think it'll be beautiful. It will be. Um, so we've got that. We mm-hmm. uh, have that interview later on. Fantastic. Um, we've also got some news towards the end of the show. Yes, we um, do. And we've got some interesting facts to kick us off as well. We do. And kind of because the interview is based around AirSat 1 and satellites, mm. I decided to find like a few satellite facts. Mm. And one that I came across is actually going to be really interesting and kind of ties in with what something that we talk about in the in the interview about like the size of satellites yeah sputnik one was about the size of a beach ball and took about 90 minutes to orbit the earth oh wow yeah and i thought that was very fast yeah because i thought like i literally know zilch about space travel and speed and things like that so i just assumed world's quite large flight takes a long time yeah, it's a big old ball yeah <laughs> like it takes a fair while to get to spain or portugal or something yeah. like that so i figured it would take a fairly long time to get around all around the earth kind of thing and uh no 98 minutes that's unreal that's extremely yeah. fast and i mean it's like sure jesus what are planes doing <laughs> yeah they could, well we had concord for a while didn't we that was extremely yeah, fast yeah i wish i wish i got death. to go on that now it's on a roundabout near heathrow what? Yeah. There's one, actually a Concorde? Yeah, there's one. There's a few Concords left. I think a couple of them are in museums. Now, I don't know if it's still on a roundabout in Heathrow, but um, I remember I was in London and I had to go from one airport to another, or one terminal to another, I can't remember. And um, I was like, why is that rainbow? Why is rainbow. That, <laughs> that rainbow? Why is that airplane on that roundabout, Daddy? And my dad was just like, that's Concorde. I was just like, what's a Concorde? And that whole conversation ensued. Oh, I see. There you go. Now, there's something I didn't know. Yeah. And hopefully you learned a fact there too. Yes. <laughs> um, but this was, God, about 10 years or so. So it might not be on a roundabout anymore, but it definitely was. Possibly. So yes. it, it had basically become like roadside art. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think there's another one in a French museum, as far as I know. Ah. I, w- I want to use Concorde. I want to fly by Concorde. There's app, there is none of them at all in operation anymore, is there? No. They're completely gone. Oh, we have nothing similar either. Mm. Oh, come on, let's get on that now. Why did they... St- do you know why they stopped them? 
oh, there's an awful lot of conspiracies around it, to be honest. Like, <laughs> um, like a, no, kind of, like, it's like, oh, it was the Americans that stopped it. Oh, it was the Russians that stopped it and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, um, like, it, like, eventually it was just like, oh, it was unsafe. But apparently it's a kind of bogus reasons. And, mm. um, yeah, so I'm kind of wondering why it hasn't, like, there must be some genuine reasons. It's, they're spending all the way too much of their time. They're, they're working towards light speed travel. So it's like, ah, we're not going to bother with, Yeah, you know, essentially, Concord. I think, yeah. <laughs> when actually, I think maybe it was like patented in a, as well and all this. There's, we should do a whole episode on Concord, I think. We should, I think we should do an episode on like aeronautics and stuff yeah. in general. Like, conspiracies. Yeah, definitely at some point. Oh, of course. I love you can't, conspiracies. You can't do a science-related show without at some point going into the realms of like science-y conspiracy yeah. stuff. I love them so much. I'm such a sucker. I Like, I will fall for nearly every conspiracy except Flat Earth. That's that's where I draw the line. Well, see, my whole thing with... Cause we're, and still, we're talking in the realms of, of satellites here anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a, there is a Japanese satellite that takes pictures of the Earth mm-hmm. um, constantly. Like, it's, it's every... Um, is it like every 90 minutes 90 minutes keeps coming up in this show yeah. but it's it's regular basis anyway it, yeah. it takes repeated pictures of the earth and it's the furthest out that we have a, a, a camera basically that can take photographs back at the earth I can't think of the name of it now off the top of my head I'll look it up now in a minute yeah. <clears throat> but it takes photographs and it the, the argument a lot of people who are flat earthers make is that there's no full photographs of the earth it's all composites yeah it's not true this takes um, a full photograph in, in one go and even the argument of you know oh com- they're composite shots that doesn't mean they're not real shots like if you take a panoramic yeah. shot on your phone yeah. that's what that is that's composite shots side oh, by side yes, yeah, yeah, so yeah. what you're seeing in front of you okay it's not the actual image it's not one image it's a uh, con- but if you put them all together like. yeah but it's because most of them aren't far enough away to get the entire globe in one picture I see or because it's flat <laughs> no <laughs> It is, to be fair though, it is one of those things in terms of like modern science conspiracies and stuff mm. that I've never really understand. I don't no. get the, the flat earth thing, to be totally no. honest. Cause I've it's gotten kind of trendy as well recently. It has because a lot of celebrities have come out and said they're yeah. flat earthers and especially in the States, a lot of like American footballers and basketballers mm. and stuff. And you know yourself, obviously sports people are uh, big, they're big figures. They're yeah. you know, public have figures. Have a lot of influence. Yeah, so if somebody comes out, if you're a fan of a certain sports star and they come out and they say, I believe the earth is flat, a lot of people will then start going and looking into it and hopefully the majority of people look into it and realise, oh. we know, we've known yeah. for a very long time the earth is a ball. And But I mean, like, the spheroid. main thing, I, I, I'm a little bit disappointed that the earth's that, not flat? A little bit, because I mean, how cool would the end of the world be? Like, if you yeah. just like sail right off it into an abyss or space or something like that. Like, I mean, that would be kind of cool. So, I mean, it's a globe is so boring. Like, oh, we can go round and round. Cool. That's fun. <laughs> how can you consider like a, a massive, <laughs> unbelievably large globe hurtling through space boring? <laughs> <laughs> I'm spoiled. <laughs> It's like this isn't interesting <laughs> enough. I want something different. Exactly, you know, what yeah. about a big chain of balls that are part of a much bigger chain of things all hurtling through space at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> Can't sail off the end though. No. But I <laughs> or think walk that, off the end, even better. I think it would be cool and we will possibly will do some sort of a thing like that where we look at things like that, like flat earth. And I think what would be great would be to look at Look at it from a fair point of view. Look at like, what the evidence is presented. Yeah, look at both sides. Because, I mean, they do have some, like, evidence. Like, it's it it's not a stupid fight. Like, there's there's they have their own facts. And it's like, okay, kind of like, mm. I, I can see where you get this or why you'd believe this and things like that. Um, yeah. yeah. The operative term in what you said there is they have their own facts. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, no, I think it, it will be interesting and mm. it will be good to look at it from sort of you know both perspectives yeah. in terms of like well okay is there any possibility that this could be could be uh, factual exactly hmm. so well, yeah look out for that in the future yeah um, another little fact here that in the 16th century going back a long long time now older than me um, <laughs> really yeah I know I look great for 306 <laughs> yeah um, I that's, that's, that's some skincare routine <laughs> Or a vampire, who knows? Or that, yeah. Um, in the 16th century, the word satellite meant an attendant on a person of importance. So they'd float around them. Yeah. Uh, I get that. That's actually, yeah. that makes sense. Because, I mean, like, you also get satellite fish. 
you get and them. And satellite towns. Yeah, because like um, with the fish, I think it's like blue whales or something. They're little satellite fish that eat the um, bacteria and stuff off the whale, so ah. the whale doesn't get sick. I see. Now, this oh, that's is, something I didn't know. Yeah, now, I'm, I'm fairly sure that this is it. It's like to prevent infections yeah. and stuff, because obviously whales are very, 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 very large. And no. They, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keeping the science facts, like, you know, new ones all every week. Stay tuned. <laughs> whales are big. First. Whales, quite large. <laughs> but I mean, like, so they'll need little helpers. And mm. the little fish, and I little mean, helper fish. Yeah, and I mean, the whale probably doesn't even know that the little fish are there. Probably not. Yeah. There's a lot of animals like that in the animal kingdom that kind of have a, a symbiotic sort of relationship going on, mm. like birds that live on bigger animals. Like they'll yeah. sit on the back of a rhino, yeah, and they'll do that just to get around and stuff like that, and they'll eat insects off their back. And which stuff would be similar to the satellite fish. Yeah, um, just kind of keep keep everything chill. Mm. Um, and of course, like, you know, in the documentary that was Finding Nemo. Yes, yeah. <laughs> great documentary. Actually. Yes, yeah. yeah. Some fish even take journeys inside a whale to get to Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> was it, it was documentary. It was, uh, David and Attenborough, I believe, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> I, love, I love when they team up, it's yeah. great. <laughs> you know, it's always got to be good. Uh. Um, going back to actual facts um, polar satellites orbit past past uh, orbits right. orbits pass over the poles so so they can scan the whole earth as it rotates beneath them so like it's almost like a massive you know those obviously not really but you know those scanners those laser scanners yeah that's basically what's happening <clears throat> so it constantly. just it goes around and it basically creates a scan yeah as it's moving around. Yeah, because yeah. they're rather than kind of going around the equator, they'll orbit around the um, the poles instead. So similar to the uh, the orbit of the, the space station. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. Which I didn't <coughs> know. And now it seems like fairly obvious. But I mean, I suppose we're so learned to believe that the equator is the center of everything. Essentially. Yeah. Like it's it's like it for latitude and longitude it's hmm. used, not the festivals. <laughs> it's used for them too. Yeah. <laughs> But um, like it, a lot of our world does kind of mm. orientate around the equator yeah, rather than the poles. Um, so I think it was by kind of my like assumption mm. that like, oh yeah, of course the satellite would go around that way, forgetting again that the world is a globe, so yeah. it can also go over it. Over it. Not just but then again, if you tilt it, it's still going around. It's always going around it. It's an interesting one. Like, and there's probably there probably is a lot of reasons why they decided to go that way. Like, why the decision was made to do it that way. Mm. Um, I'd love to actually maybe go and dig into that a little bit more. Find out why exactly that's the orbit they they go with. Definitely, like there must be some kind of reason towards it. It's not just like they went, lads. What way do we go? <laughs> let's <Over> no- <laughs> let's go nuts and go against the equator. <laughs> Make it so mad. <laughs> Not even in the opposite <laughs> direction. We've just called yeah, mental. Just like yeah. <laughs> Take that equator. <laughs> you think you're so great. <laughs> think you're the centre of the earth. Oh, uh, yeah. Ha, 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 well, no, it's not really the centre of the earth. It's in the middle of the earth. <laughs> it worked with the, with the phrasing, okay? <laughs> um, there are more than 20 satellites that make up the global positioning system. So GPS. Yeah. And enabling precise precise positions to be measured at any time. Now, I remember the first like GPSs that you got mm-hmm. in your car and stuff. And nine times out of ten, you were in a field. Yeah. Like uh, one of my local supermarkets was a field for quite some time, and we were like recalculating, recalculating. <laughs> so it's like calm down, just getting some bread. I'm fine. I'm not in a field. I haven't crashed. As far as I'm aware. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or just be like, oh my goodness, I thought I was at a car park, but I'm in a field. <gasps> my life is an illusion. <laughs> um, but I think GPS has come so far, it's insane. And like, even you can use offline maps, which I which has been like so amazing for me when I'm traveling. Can so, we? Yeah. I've always just used the same. You can download. Google Maps for everything though. On Google Maps, you can download on your phone specific areas. So if you're going abroad and you don't want to be using your data or you don't want to be running down your mobile, you ah. can, and you, it can still, now it's only, um, it still tracks your position. And I think you set it to either only walking distances or only this or only that. And it still tracks you and tells you like, oh, we'll take this long or take a left here and all this. It's so amazing and so handy. That is really cool. Really, really cool. And spe- like I know now we can use your data in the EU. Yeah. But um, well, if you're in the EU, we can use it in the EU. Like there's no extra fees. Yeah. But if you're going further afield to like say 
either even countries in Europe who aren't in the EU or going to America or anywhere like that and you need maps, you don't need to be using your data. Just download your um your kind of field and it can be quite quite a large one like I've downloaded nearly the entirety of London because I just don't know where I'm going to be going when I go to London you downloaded an entire city yeah and um, now like it's and it expires after a certain amount of days but 10 out of 10 for anybody traveling to somewhere that they haven't been before definitely use it and you have those satellites to thank that's really cool I like that and I'm surprised that it says like it's it's more than 20 satellites because, I mean, obviously more than 20 satellites could be up to anything. But, I mean, it's probably under 100 if they're saying it's more than 20. And yeah, because otherwise they'd say close to 100. Or yeah. Like, so it's probably quite a bit under 100. Yeah, it could well. be, like, between 20 and 30, maybe. Does it still kind of blow your mind, though, the whole, like, GPS thing? That, oh, like, you're Lord, yes. You're a single, lone person on your own, walking around on your phone, do, 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 looking for where to go. And you're basically, your phone's having a chat with this satellite. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit less lonely. Because, yeah. you know, it's better, again, because, like, me, I travel to Berlin by myself and um, I stay with some friends, but during the day I was by myself. But was I really? Had that little satellite minding me, kind of like, don't worry, gal, got you back. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. I know. It really is. Um, also really good for if you lose your phone and um, your GPS is on or whatever it is. Like, it's so it's so easy now to, like, well, it's harder now to lose, to lose, lose your phone. Yeah. Like, for it to go 100% off-grid then you know something insane has happened to it. Mm. Um, so again, like probably under 30 satellites are doing all that hard work around the entire world. That's, it's crazy. It's absolutely mad. Yeah. I suppose it's handier because the world's flat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really agreed with you there. <laughs> I'll get you. <laughs> um, oh. um, there are now more than 2,500 artificial satellites now in orbit around the Earth. Which I think is kind of interesting because you hear the term space junk a lot. And I mean, obviously, like we have landfills, like the earth itself is filled with junk (laughs) and rubbish and debris Mm -hmm. and waste and all this. And then you hear space junk. And I don't think about this phrase a lot. But when you do, and like it's 2,500 artificial satellites are in orbit around Earth. So is this that it was a satellite and now it's just dead like uh. it's it's not running anymore and it's just kind of floating about or is it like I want to learn more about that is, yeah. it, is it considered space junk or is it still considered a satellite now or that's a, that's actually a good question mm. I think it probably would be considered space junk at that point because it's just sort of something floating around space that's yeah. Not really useful to us anymore. Exactly. It's just taking up space. Yeah, hey, taking up space and space. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm hilarious and I, I don't even know it sometimes. <laughs> We're killing it with the puns today. <laughs> um, but, uh, and this final fact that, mm-hmm. I mean, like, I feel like it's gotten to a point where we can't go show where Orla doesn't mention animals in some shape or form. Of course. And if not, I'll just say, like, animals at the end, <laughs> end of the show and I'll just stop <laughs> um, just so I can talk about them. In 2012, satellite data showed that there were twice as many emperor penguins in Antarctica than there was pre- previously thought. Oh, wow. Good job, penguins. I'm so happy for you, and I'm very sorry that your homes are melting. But I'm really happy that there was twice as, or more than more of you there in 2012, and I hope you're all still doing well. Do get in touch with the show if, if you'd like to. <laughs> Great interview. <laughs> Just start hearing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love the noises they make so much. Uh, they're, they're so good. Incredible animals. Like when you they, actually watch like stuff really on penguins, are. like just how they're how they work. Mm-hmm. Like even in terms of like with they, the parents where they'll take turns yeah, going to get co-parenting. food. So they'll basically they'll huddle around, keep everybody warm, stay in your pack, yeah. and the women will all go looking for food, and then yeah. they'll come back. And when they come back, the men go off. And, yeah. you know that kind of thing. It's it's incredible. And they propose with rocks. Do they propose rocks? When they find their mate, they have a mate for life and they like they find a really nice rock that they like and they give it to the to the girl penguin. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it's, really cute. It's really, really sweet. And I love it. Well, not necessarily. Like, they just give it to the penguin that they love. Yeah. I love penguins. They're such a clever bunch. <laughs> oh, look at this pretty rock. Imagine yeah. it was that simple with people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, diamonds are rocks. Yeah, I have this pretty rock. Yeah. That's what we essentially do. Look at the shiny rock. I got it in metal. That, yeah, that's true, I suppose. Yeah, it's, it yeah. Is. we're not too far away. Oh, we're still animals. Yeah. Otters do the same too. Otters um, made for life, I know that. 
Yeah, and they they now they don't as far as I know they don't propose with their favorite rock, but they have evolution has given them a special pouch to keep their favorite rock in that they can play with if they want to. Oh. They have a little rock pouch or pebble pouch that they can just like literally on their body. It's like a it like like as it like we grow limbs, they have their special pebble pouch. Oh. <laughs> so they can play with it whenever they want and they have somewhere safe to keep their favorite pebble. That is like probably the cutest thing I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love I love animals. Pebble pouch. A little pebble pouch. <laughs> Do you ever see those pictures and videos of like otters who like when hold they hands. sleep and they'll hold hands so they don't drift apart? I was about ten or eleven and I was at an aquarium in Portugal and I saw this. Now, this was before I had seen this online and I saw these little otters lying on their backs, having a snooze, holding hands, and I nearly died. I was like, man. Mom, look what they're doing. And they're just, I, I cried. It was just unbearably cute. And then when I was older, I saw this fact that they hold hands so they don't drift apart. And I was like, they do, they do. I saw it in person. I and know was, this for a fact. It was the most beautiful thing I've Aww. ever seen. Well, one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I've seen no, a lot of animals. No, it was animals. the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, admit it. <laughs> I've seen a lot of red pandas, though. I mean. They're adorable. They they're are adorable. So beautiful. So beautiful. Um, we are going to have to get to our interview. We are indeed. Definitely. Sorry, animals. And I want, I want, definitely want to get around to our interview. Yes. Fascinating. Mm. Um, if you guys are into the space stuff, because we, you know, we talked a little bit about um, like Sputnik and stuff. Yeah. yeah we, we spoke a little bit about it. But if you're in any way interested in, you know, space and, and stuff like that, stick around. This is a fantastic interview. And mm. um, we had the associate professor, prof- blah, 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 associate professor from UCD um, talking to us about AirSat One. It's Dr. William O'Connor, and he's fantastic. Like he's he's, re- he's really good. So enthusiastic and so insightful. I learned so much. So did I. We all yeah. and and you all shall too. Yeah. So uh, have a listen to this and join us after it. And we are joined now on the line by Dr. William O'Connor, who is the Associate Professor from UCD. Good afternoon, William. Good afternoon, Sean. How are you? Really good. And yourself? Great, thanks. Great. Good, good. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. You're very welcome. Um, Well, you're on to talk to us particularly about um, AirSat1, which is a a really interesting project that's going on at the minute out in UCD. Um, I suppose, could you maybe give us a little bit of a background for people who maybe don't know what the whole AirSat1 project is? Okay, so um, it well, it's the first Irish satellite, so that's exciting and historic, mm. Mm. Um, which is being built in UCD by mainly by students. Uh, so it's a student-led project. Well, when I say students, these are postgraduate students, mainly yeah. people doing masters or doctorates, um, and it's uh, organizers sponsored in some way by the European Space Agency. So Ireland is a member of the European Space Agency. Mm-hmm. You'll see the little Irish flag on the side of the ESA rockets and so on. Oh. So we're there, and as part of, part of their brief, ESA's brief, is education in space. And under this program, they, they assign some of their budget for this. One of their programs is to invite people to put a satellite into space. So we're building the satellite, and the European Space Agency will take it up to the International Space Station and launch it from there. Um, now, that may sound, uh, I don't know what it sounds like, but uh, <laughs> it's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah definitely. Work. Um, now, it's, it's a very small satellite. It's technically known as a microsatellite or a CubeSat. Mm. Um, and uh, this is a change in the world, the space world. Traditionally, satellites were often very big, very yeah. expensive, could take 10 or more years of development of big teams. Mm. Recently, the tendency is to go for more satellites, but much smaller, and okay. use off-the-shelf commercial components as much as possible. So that makes, it che- makes them cheaper, easier to make, and cheaper to get into space. So... Our satellite is an example of that. Mm-hmm. So it's, we're calling it AirSat-1, E-I-R-S-A-T, which is a slightly clever name. That <laughs> E-I-R, well, uh, besides being for Ireland, it's also Educational Irish Research Satellite. Oh, <gasps> I thought it was just for Ireland. I like that. Well, it's both. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and we're calling it AirSat-1 because we're hoping it won't be the last. Mm. Uh, so we're trying to develop expertise to do more of this in the future. Yeah. And uh, in fact, if you 
you can go on the internet and look up airsat one eirsat one uh, there's also twitter and um, you'll find more information so people who are interested can find out more and photographs of the students who are involved and so on um, now so the plan is well it's it's all supervised by a program with anisa called fly your satellite yeah mm. so uh, over a year ago, nearly two years ago, um, some people in physics in UCD, the physics department, made a proposal. So, so the European Space Agency offer, invited people, said, well, we'll put your satellite into space for you. we we'll launch it if you do the right thing or what you propose. So a proposal was made and it was accepted. Um, so that's what got us started. And uh, as I said, that was uh, nearly two years ago now. Um, and... We've, since then, we've gone through a long, detailed process of designing the satellite. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it's got a few, three experiments on board, uh, original experiments, uh, all designed in UCD. Um, and then, in addition, it has everything uh, an ordinary satellite needs. I'll just explain. Well, first of all, um, you, you may be imagining a big thing. This is all the size of... Uh, a shoebox, even oh, a small wow. shoebox. Oh, wow. um, so, or your liter carton of milk, a little bit bigger, somewhere around that size. So it is quite small. Yeah. So yeah, it would fit in your rucksack if you were carrying it around. Wow. Handy. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's small, it also needs everything on board that a bigger satellite would have. Mm. So it has to have radio communication. We need to be able to talk to it. It has to have an onboard computer controlling things. It needs power supply, so it is solar panels to get power from the sun and power up to charge up the batteries. It has what's called an attitude control system. Attitude is what space people use to to describe just direction controlling, because it needs to point in a certain direction, and uh, that needs a control system. And uh, there are a few other things needed on board, so it's, it's a complicated little piece of machinery um, mm. and because it's going up into space it, there are all sorts of special requirements on mm. it um, so and because the European Space Agency is going to kindly take it up in one of their launchers which is going up to the International Space Station regularly so they, they bring up take up uh, food and supplies and oxygen and and uh, astronauts who are their permanent people living in the International Space Station, as you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to hitch a ride on one of those service missions. And then the astronauts on board the International Space Station will shoot it out uh, later on. So um, because they're doing all that for us, the European Space Agency follow everything very, very closely because they don't want to take anything up to the International Space Station that might give off sunny, funny vapours yeah. or course, yeah. the batteries start overheating or the radio comes on when it shouldn't and interferes and so on, so mm-hmm. on. But also because they're supporting us, so they want to make sure we do it right. So we have the benefit of having all their experts checking everything we're doing as we're going along. Um, so... Uh, that's where we are at the moment. Um, we've the, the, there are a number of milestones along the way. The, um, so, um, a few well, months ago, yeah. Sorry, no. I was just going to say um, you you mentioned earlier on. Um, I didn't want to stop you in the middle of your flow. Um, sure. But you mentioned earlier on talking about how it's being it's gone back a bit but talking about how making this it was done using kind of more off the shelf parts and stuff rather than uh, specialist parts yeah. um, which has got to be fantastic I say for people who maybe will be looking to get into this field sort of down the road or maybe they're at home and they're sort of wanting to kind of play around with it because they know in future this is a field they'd love to get into and love to be kind of a part of where they know they, they could actually go and find these parts and possibly get an idea of how to build this kind of stuff themselves Sure, yeah. Um, well, um, it would perhaps the most expensive thing is getting this thing up into space. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, uh, but actually, the building part of the satellite, the components that every satellite needs, um, 
are they are what are available off the shelf by commercial off the shelf i mean there's quite a few companies uh, maybe half a dozen companies certainly around the world who are, who will make you who will design or sell you uh say the radio communication side yeah. of it the onboard computer side of it the electrical power control side of it those things are on printed circuit boards that you can buy and then you can put them into your satellite so so typically your satellite might have something special on board but you still need all these other things which are standard and um so now when i say cheap we're not talking small money i mean yeah. each of those things well you can go on the web of the different companies and see they'll even have a price list there um but uh we're talking I, relative i suppose in mm. comparison to it, some of the exactly. massive satellites that are up there now yeah. it's relatively yeah so each of those components might be costing you 10 grand 15 grand mm. that sort of money as opposed to hundreds of grand yeah um and uh because you, because of the standardization makes it uh, uh, much more economical. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in terms of you know once it's up there, you're you obviously there's there's a particular mission you're you're aiming for here. There's stuff you're kind of going for. What's the uh, the overall goal for AirSat oh, One? Good question. Right. Well, there are three experiments on board, uh, which are novel, new, uh, designed in UCD. The first one is um, to detect what are called cosmic ray bursts. Now, what are they? Well, it, it turns out that there are bursts of cosmic radiation, which is um, electromagnetic radiation coming from very, very far away in the universe, mm-hmm. which are very bright over a very short time. So it's like a flash. Uh, we say short time, it lasts maybe... 10 seconds, 12 seconds, which in astronomical terms is very short. Yeah. And, um, and this is very, very powerful radiation, which uh, hits and then goes away. Um, now, the, the, uh, we're only de- detected first when people went up into space or high altitude because the, the atmosphere shields us down below here. Um, and in the physics department in UCD, they've developed a new kind of sensor detector to detect these cosmic ray bursts, which is a special crystal which um, scintillates or it, it produces light when the cosmic rays go through it. And then you detect those flashes of light, the photons of light. And that's the way you detect this ray, cosmic ray burst. And this is a new kind of sensor in that it's lighter, it's low voltage. It's um, the, the previous sensors were high-voltage vacuum tube-type things, which were expensive and awkward. So that's one experiment, detecting cosmic ray bursts. Um, the second experiment is testing out some coatings, which were developed by an Irish company called Enbio. These are coatings that the European Space Agency is going to use on a satellite to go around the sun, Solar Explorer. And these, these coatings are protecting the satellite from the radiation of the sun, um, so they're heat protection mainly. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously they've been fully tested on Earth in, in ovens and vacuums and so on, but not in mm-hmm. space. And the space environment can, have a, can affect the coating in some way. So we have on board, we have four samples of the coatings, two black, two white, and uh, they are going to test those those coatings so that's the second experiment and the third if you're still with me um, which is the one i'm most interested in or most involved in um which is a a new way of what's called attitude control Mm -hmm. um which means we've to control how the satellite is pointed in space so when it comes Mm -hmm. out of the international space station it could be tumbling and head over heels um, so the first thing is to stabilize it, stop it tumbling, and then we want to point it in a certain direction so that we um, can make the measurements and, and get the right amount of solar power and so on. And we have a, a new way of doing that or calculating what's needed. Um, I, I don't know why you want me to go into details there, but... It, it, how are we controlling the attitude or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The direction? Well, that's an interesting story because um, there are coils 
um, on, in the satellite, we put current through the coils that creates a magnetic field, and that interacts with the Earth's magnetic field, yeah. and that's how we get turning action or torque. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to work out what current to put in and when. Um, and for that, the, the calculations are somewhat tricky. So yeah. that's what we're working on. Um, uh, sorry, just obviously there's going to be an awful lot of data coming back from the satellite. Is it going to be a matter of when it comes back, like if it comes back to Earth, is that how you'll be analysing the data? Or is it when it's overhead? Or where, where does the data analysis come in? Fantastic. Very good. Okay, so yeah, another aspect of this whole thing is building what's called the ground station. Mm-hmm. So on the on the roof of the building, in, the physics building in UCD, we're going to have a big antenna, which we hope will be picking up the signals from AirSat 1. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we can only start picking up signals when it's over the horizon. So okay. we had to do calculations of how, how much it's going to be or for how long, and that depends on the orbit. <laughs> So, uh, and how much data we can get down is it determined by how quickly we can get the data and how long we can talk to it, how long it's above the horizon. Mm-hmm. So we're yeah. reckoning about 29 minutes every day. Oh. Um, so we have a window when it's above, and our antenna aerial will have to track it, point towards it, and we'll know where it is. And um, to to get the maximum amount of data, we point the antenna towards it mm. and we hope that'll give us all the information we're looking for amazing Fantastic. and that's like, i mean nearly half an hour a day i thought it would be kind of every few weeks or something that it'll be passing over but that's great that it's it'll be daily yeah well the orbit takes about 90 minutes oh. so, it, so it goes the whole way around the world every 90 minutes so it's going wow. pretty fast yeah, yeah. it's extremely fast <laughs> But, but that doesn't mean it's over Ireland all the yes, time because obviously yeah. it's uh, and the orbit is at a funny angle. It's um, you might imagine it first as going around the equator, but in fact the mm. International Space Station orbit is at a quite a sharp angle to the equator. So it goes up fairly near the North Pole and then oh. fairly near the South Pole. Very um, good. So an hours will be doing more or less the same orbit. Wow, so what kind of speed would that be? Uh, or can, do you know? It's it's of the order of um, 30,000 kilometres per hour. Wow. Um, <laughs> so pretty fast. Yeah, yeah. you get get stopped by a speed camera going that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't try that on the M50. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But that that's incredible, and yeah. like so, it's essentially as you said, it's going, it's following um, roughly the orbit that the space station will be following. Mm. That's right. And you were talking as well a little bit earlier about using, in terms of navigation and stuff, using the the Earth's magnetic fields. Or that's right. Mag- is that kind of due, you know, in terms of the fact that that's what you're using? Is that just kind of because? It's it's the best source of that rather because obviously in space there's no real up or down mm. so sort of to navigate yourself so is it kind of like the Earth is just sort of the, your anchor point essentially? Well, it's there are a few reasons for doing it. There there are a few ways you could control your attitude as it's called. One would be to have little rockets or thrusters mm. uh, so you fire them to move yourself around. But they, they're heavy, they're, you have to have fuel, you can run out of fuel, and you have to yeah. alter the calculations. So because this whole thing is very small, mm. we wanted something that was light and low power. And the coil idea, the magnetic coil idea, means that we can use power, which we're getting from the sun through the solar panels, which are charging the batteries, so that you can use electrical power. Um, there are other ways of doing that, things called reaction wheels, where you spin little wheels on board, which and the reaction causes you, gives you a turning action. But again, there's a weight involvement there and mechanical rigidity, yeah. reliability and so on. So the magnet, these are called magnet torquers, um, which is a compression of magnetic torquers. Um, they, they are, they're the simplest. Um, now, the there are a few problems with them. The amount of turning action is tiny. I mean, think of your compass needle swinging in the Earth's magnetic field. 
there isn't much turning action going yeah. on there and mm. the needle is very, very light. Our thing is a bit heavier than a compass needle. <laughs> so the amount you can get of torque you get is very small. That's yeah. one problem. And then the Earth's magnetic field, because the orbit is going up near the North Pole and South Pole mm-hmm. in 90 minutes or 45 minutes each, um, it's changing continually. So that's part of the complication. So it's it's an interesting problem, but it's the best if you want something that's cheap and uh, light. Yeah. yeah. I think it's amazing that something so small is able to gather so much, like do so many experiments and is going to be so useful. But as you said, like it's it's maybe a little bit smaller than a shoebox or mm. bigger than a carton of milk. Like That's right. But if you think of how much is on your mobile phone. Uh, Very good, small. actually. Yeah, I kind of never thought of making that comparison. You're so right. Yeah. <laughs> you have an onboard computer there and you have yeah. apps and all sorts of tricks and so on. So yeah. that's that's the electronic revolution. You get more and more and more into smaller Small and smaller tiny spaces. spaces. So um, we're taking full advantage of that in, in, in the satellite design. Yeah. That's amazing. Oh, I'm so excited to hear all. Like, I can't, I'm definitely going to be keeping up with this one. Well, it it is very exciting. Yeah. Um, and and that's from Ireland. Everybody is learning an enormous amount. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm learning, and uh, and it's, it's the students who are doing the work. I want to emphasize that very yeah. much. Uh, so there are some older heads like me, uh, staff, who are involved in supervising and guiding a little bit, mm. but they're doing all the real work. Um, the designing and building and testing. Um, and um, if you go onto Twitter, you'll see photographs of the students working. Uh, some of them, some of the times they're wearing funny clothes because <laughs> they have to go into a what's called a clean room. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a special room. The satellite will be assembled in a, a clean room where it's minimum dust mm-hmm. uh, because dust can cause problems like electrical connections and um, ah so on so there's a controlled environment a clean room environment and that means you have to put on special clothes so that the hair or fluff or whatever from your head or from your clothes doesn't add to the dust in the room yeah um so th- there are just so many aspects of this whole thing that you it's only when you start doing it you realize uh, there's a lot of work and a lot of different kinds of work and different things to be thought about for it all to come together, um, but it's great fun. It's and very exciting to be involved. It sound, it does. It sounds absolutely incredible, mm. to be honest. And as uh, Orla said, kind of proud as well of the fact that yeah. we're we're getting out there. You know, like the um, we've spoken on the show to the likes of David Moore. We've had from Astronomy Ireland on, yeah. Yeah. and yeah. he's he mentioned AirSat One and how um, the kind of the Irish uh, astronomy community and space community, the science community in general, are very excited about what's going on with AirSat One and the fact that there's you know, quite a large community as well in Ireland yeah. for a small that's island. Like that's right, that's right. Um, and and well, there are a number of companies in Ireland involved in different aspects of the space industry or making mm. certain components, um, certain parts, uh, say for. Uh, the rocket launchers for um, and so on, but uh, and, and the electronics end and data. But this is the first time that a complete satellite has been designed, built, tested, and operated by a group in Ireland. Um, and uh, and part of the purpose is to educate students mm. in this whole area, so they can go on and then be employed in the space industry or maybe set up their own space industry because there's now scope for that. Yeah. Um, and um, so space has now moved on to some extent to uh, more commercial applications of space. Um, and uh, so there are companies now getting involved in space as a commercial enterprise, mm-hmm. as opposed to in the past, it was it could only be big countries with big economies yeah. that could do this. And, and CubeSats is part of that story. Um, it makes it possible for smaller industries to get involved. Yeah. Absolutely, and I actually we're, we're going to have to wrap up now in a second. I don't want to keep you uh, keep you here all day either. As much as we could talk about this <laughs> for hours, it's fascinating. Sure. But uh, the whole you mentioned as well the uh, was it the flyer satellite program. That's and right. So there there is a few other nations and in getting involved with the CubeSat thing as well. Am I right? Oh, that's right. Yes, um, and well, our neighbours in the UK, um, there are there are programs there. 
and but ac- across Europe, yeah. So we're not the first or the only one by any means. Um, and just to say that the, the European Space Agency was set up over 50 years ago. They recently had their 50th anniversary, and in their foundation, one of their purposes was education in space, mm-hmm. and they take that very seriously. So they allocate a budget for it. Um, a big budget part of their budget is for education and so this flyer satellite program is part of that educational purpose or, mm. or role that the ESA is to educate future space scientists amazing Absolutely. this is so exciting I love this it is <laughs> and we'd actually we'd love to have you on again in the future as yeah. we kind of get closer to closer to launch and stuff like that and just get a bit more information of what, kind of what's going on we'd definitely love to have you back certainly Thanks My pleasure. So much. I, could, I can do that. Brilliant. Well, uh, or, we, or I can get, or you could talk to somebody else in the team if you wish. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We just, as I said, we'd love to just get more information on it and find out uh, everything that's going on. Mm. But oh, uh, very good. Dr. William well, O'Connell, thank, sorry, what were you saying? Sorry, I just got to say, just uh, before you wrap up, yeah, have a look on the web for under AirSat One or on Twitter, or and you'll you will get more information there, and um, so people who are interested can find out. Uh, more background things I haven't mentioned or haven't explained properly they might be able to get a better picture there so people can follow what's going on on, on all your social medias just, I assume just look for Airsat 1 exactly brilliant perfect thanks thank so much for coming on delighted my pleasure thank you for having me no problem cheers thanks Have very a much day. all the best bye 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 and you're very welcome back to Genius Hack what an amazing interview oh it was incredible it was so interesting And, and the, sorry one. no just amazing about how small they can be yeah, like I know you were saying about Sputnik being about the size of a of a not a baseball, a beach ball. <laughs> baseball, that's a small satellite. <laughs> it is, um, but like I mean, to be the size like somewhere in between a shoebox and a milk carton. Yeah, but I suppose like as you said, the amount of technology that's in your phone is that's true. I never, it never kind, I never put the two together. I suppose because you never really think of your phone as being a satellite, and yeah. it's like oh, that because. For me, when I think of a satellite, I think of the space station. Yeah. Which is obviously has to be large because it's housing people. Well, I mean, I remember hearing that. Like, Now, I don't know exactly how true this is, mm-hmm. but you can scale it up and it is true. To where the... the, the blah, 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 that when the... When they landed on the moon, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> <got there. laughs> my brain um, basically it took less computing power yeah. than there was in your than there is in your phone. Definitely, yeah. I know that's true. Well, I had heard that there was less compute, computing power than there was on a Game Boy. Oh, wait, that sounds familiar. Yeah, maybe. Now, I mean, a Game Boy is pretty like old school, basic yeah. tech. Yeah. But then again, you have these teeny tiny graphics on a tiny screen and yeah. stuff like that. So it is small. Like I say, like ratio wise and stuff, mm-hmm. I'd say it could be that I could say it could be true. It's quite possible. Because there is what? Um, moon landing was 69, mm-hmm. wasn't it? 69, 79. 60. Um, and then Game Boy was late 80s, I could say, for argument's sake, yeah. say 89. Um, so that's what, 30 20 suppose, years, 20 yeah, years. When you look at it that way, yeah. there, it does make sense that they could have condensed all that technology down. Yeah. You know, no, yeah, yeah, no, it makes sense. Yeah. That's kind of a fun fact. I like that. But it is, it's incredible now that like we have so much mm. technology just in a phone or just yeah. in, like these. You do kind of take it for granted because, yeah. I mean, you have Google in your phone. Yeah. As we talked about earlier with the facts as well, when we were mm. talking about like GPS. Yeah. Like, that's incredible. Yeah. Like, I sat there the other day and uh, we're, we're going to get on to our news now in a second, yeah. I promise. Um, I sat there the other day just looking across at um, the kind of neighbours nearby, like, mm-hmm. you know, the satellite dishes when you get your digital TV oh, satellite yeah, dish yeah, thing. Yeah. And looking at it and I stopped and thought about the fact that yeah. the way that's working, like, that's just taking a signal down from space. Yeah. Hitting the dish and then the little receiver thing is taking it in. And like, it's crazy. <laughs> When you actually stop and think about it, it is nuts. I love it. It's so cool. It's so it does seem so sciencey and futuristic. Um, speaking of sciencey and futuristic, mm. right? As we mentioned earlier, we are a big ball floating around in space, and I we was are. quite disappointed by it that we weren't something more fun, like like flat. a disc. Yeah. <laughs> um, but apparently, in two thousand and five, NASA wanted to kind of gauge what's called E, what is it, NEOs? So it's near-Earth objects. Yeah. And because, I mean, there are asteroids, and like due to our atmosphere, like it's going to, if we were to get hit by something, like it'll be fiery and fast. Yeah. Um, it's going to make a big impact. So NASA were kind of like, hmm, we've been hit before. Look at the moon. That's been hit a fair few mm-hmm. times. Maybe we should start 
like having a little look at gauging them and trying to judge where they're going to go. And the moon got hit during the blood moon. Did it? Did you not see those videos? Those no. pictures of astronomers were looking at the blood moon, oh the eclipse, gosh. and while they were recording it, you could actually see <gasps> an impact. Oh, on wow. The moon. Go find those videos. Definitely. And actually, if people listening haven't seen it, go find the video. It's really cool. It's that just like a little amazing. spot goes by and it just hits it. But they're saying that that's was what like it was. An asteroid, was an asteroid hit it. Oh my god. Sorry, I didn't mean to speak over your point, but I would have forgot. Yeah, no, that's really cool. I'm really glad you said that. Mm. Um and ba- sorry, basically, yeah, they have telescopes on the Earth and they're super, super powerful and they're kind of they're gauging matter that's over hundred and forty meters. Yeah. Um and because that it's in a radius of the Earth and there could it's just near Earth. It's not gonna hit us. But there is always the potential that it will. Yeah. And um, they hoped to have 90% of it detected by 2020. They started it in 2005. They only have about a third of it done. And now the new estimation is that it's going to be in 2034, which you know, it's it's far long over what they thought yeah. it would take. Um, so what they're doing now is they're pitching. They want more information and uh, to have the ability to put a telescope on a satellite yeah so obviously like i mean if you're closer to space you're gonna see more and be able to detect more and they want advice they want advice based on technology that they can use and to have that and it will speed up the process tenfold Mm. and that i mean we're still not gonna meet our 2020 uh, goal because like it still has to be made and everything and they're still in the very very early stages of it but they do kind of it is something that's on their minds and um they've been finding in and around 500 NEOs yearly, annually. Wow. And at the moment, they're up to about 25,000 that are larger than 140 metres. And just because, I mean, when I, was, when I was reading about this, I was just like, oh, like, what is... Like, I couldn't have... I didn't have a point of reference for yeah. 140 metres. Like, all I could think of, like, the 100-metre sprint that you used to do in school. <laughs> yeah. Like, that was that was my kind of point of reference. But that is a good point of reference. If you're mm. talking 140 metres, it's basically... Think that and then half that yeah. again, basically. so that and a half, really. Um, but for in terms of the damage that something like mm. that could do in if it was an asteroid and did hit, in 1908 an asteroid that was only 50 metres flattened 2,000 square kilometres of forest in Serbia. When did you say this was? 1908. In talking in terms of like space and stuff, that is recent history. Yeah, and also like statistically, does it mean that we're 111 years closer to the next time something's going to hit us? I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I think... It, every day we get closer to the day that it happens. Because the possibility <laughs> these things hitting us are actually so high. Yeah. Um, I think it's one of those situations where it's every bit as likely that for five days in a row we could be hit by five of them a day. Yeah, that's as true. As it is that we could be hit by none of them. For the next million for years. For the next million years. <laughs> it's just, it's all complete chance. Yeah. Um, and like, just for, again, reference, the two 2,000 square kilometres is about the size of New York City. And obviously in 1908, there wasn't as much infrastructure as there is at the moment. There there wasn't as much urbanization or deforestation. So kind of there's less empty land Mm -hmm. now than there was in 1908. So it's actually more dangerous. Yeah, Yeah. because I mean, they got lucky that it hit a forest. Because I mean, asteroids don't exactly say like, oh wait, no, that's a town just going to scooch over a couple thousand kilometres there. So I can hit this forest. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) there's no runway. I'm just tired. (laughs) Or that is a runway, not going to land on it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so basically at the moment, after just discovering roughly around a third of them there's 25,000 um near earth objects that are over 140 wow. meters so buckle up <laughs> and it's it's a scary thought in a sense like i mean you have mm. to not let it freak you out is basically mm. the way you have to look at it when it comes to near earth objects asteroids yeah. and stuff like that because i mean <clears throat> realistically it's probably it's a constant threat yeah we're, we're more than likely okay yeah it's any for the most part they'll see them yeah in advance you know we'll know you have enough time to get home yeah yeah exactly and put on the kettle and have one last cup of tea yeah but there's a question actually I've always had I've always um, kind of pondered and I'll put it to you situation like that let's mm-hmm. say we have like cause Armageddon was one of my favourite movies as a kid mm-hmm. and I, it's a total guilty pleasure because it's awful but there's nothing guilty about it it's it's great it's fantastic um, right Armageddon type situation mm-hmm. meteor is going to hit the earth mm-hmm. nothing we can do about it 
Right. And obviously they did something about it. But let's yes, in theory. Yeah. Nothing, nothing you can do about can do. it. Would you rather know in advance and be able to have those few weeks or whatever it was to kind of go do stuff? Or would you rather just be like, bang? Um, To be honest, either or. I'd be happy either way. Uh, well, not a, maybe happy isn't the opportune <laughs> I'd be word. happy knowing yeah. for a few weeks I'm doomed. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like, because you have the few weeks, you're like, you're... You, you're probably one of the only you know you are one of the only people to have ever had that opportunity to know for a fact that the world is about to end and you're just like wow this isn't hypothetical I can do what I vote like I can try and do whatever and like you can just not I was about to say go nuts like don't go doing illegal things let's not go this yeah. far See, that's why I wouldn't want like, to it's know not a pur- it's not a purge situation kind of thing that's it's, part of why I wouldn't want to know because I don't trust people not to just go oh yeah. Oh well, sh- people would. I'm saying I wouldn't. Yeah. Like I mean, that would be just not. It would be panic. It would be a natural. Like, yeah, you would. You go into yeah. the zoo and steal all the red pandas. Oh, I really would. <laughs> Never mind. I take it all back. Is it illegal if it's for good? Like I mean, no. I wouldn't steal them. I'd co-inhabit with them. Cohabit. <laughs> you, with go, them. you go live in the zoo. Yeah. Come on. Tell me if you thought the world was ending, you wouldn't take the first opportunity you could because they're not going to care. No. Like they have bigger fish to fry at the moment. Mm. So, I mean, like if some random girl is just like, here, I'm going to go live with the red pandas. It's like, sure, you do whatever you want. You do, whatever you. makes That's you happy. Like, Will I'm you like, feed them okay. for me so I can go home? Yeah, yeah of course grand. I will. I think I'd rather not know. I think really? I'm like that in general when it comes to that whole kind of mortality thing. I think yeah. I'd rather not know. Yeah. I so, like That's why I, that's I kind of said either or because... On the other side, I, I this is the rational me who's like, oh, this is all hypothetical. I'm going to go live with the pandas. Mm. But realistically... That's the rational you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like on the other hand, like if I genuinely was given this information saying like, here, look, you're going to die next Wednesday, I would freak out, mm. I'd say. Well, then again, I'd say I'd freak out and then go into a state of calm being like, well, you know, nothing you can do. Yeah. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Mm. Um. But then again, also, I would kind of like the bam, you're gone. Okay, yeah, no, I like because be you just stop, way. like you'd, or do you just stop? The real question. <gasps> oh, actually, hang on, here's something. You know, reincarnation. Mm-hmm. If the world is completely destroyed, what happens with reincarnation? If everything, if every oh, single living thing is destroyed, reincarnation. Do you reincarnate as dust, extra dust? Do you That's reincarnate in a different universe? Do you wow, reincar- we just got philosophical yeah. here. We just did. This has gone too far in the wrong direction. Because I'm a big fan of reincarnation. I think that's. <laughs> I I think that's a really lovely. I've done it many times. I'd recommend it. <laughs> it's very soothing. Mm. Um, no, I think it's, it's a lovely idea. Yeah. yeah, and like you know, I'm kind of open-minded. I I I'm like, look, I don't know what's out there. I'm not going to rule everything out. Yeah, and I think that's it's one of the fascinating things with science and I mentioned um, yesterday what we were doing D15 today mm-hmm. um, Neil deGrasse Tyson actually talking in an interview about actually I can't remember whether I mentioned this on the show or whether we talked about it off the air Oh but, I, um, think it was, I think that was off air We may actually, have talked yeah. about it off the air but Neil deGrasse Tyson who is you know if, you, if you're listening to this show and you've been you any interest in science know you know is. who Neil deGrasse Tyson <laughs> is he's probably the most famous or one of the most famous science communicators in the world Yeah um, The man is amazing absolutely incredible but he was talking on Joe Rogan's podcast a while ago, which is also a fantastic podcast. Go listen to it. Um, but he was talking on that podcast about... Um, After you subscribe to idea, uh, Exactly. <laughs> talking about the idea of God and, you know, religion and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And, of course, he, he assumed that um, Neil deGrasse Tyson would have no um, interest in that stuff whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You know, like thinking, you know, he's, he's scientific. He's not going to be into that stuff. Yeah. And he made a very interesting point which was that if you're truly scientific mm-hmm. as a person, you cannot rule out anything. Yeah. Anything like that. You can't say there's no such thing as whatever God it is you want to believe in. Yeah. You can't say that because there's no no empirical evidence to say it absolutely does not exist. And if mm. you've got a scientific mind, you need evidence. Yeah, exactly. And I thought like that was a really interesting point. That I really liked it because, I mean, there's no evidence. There's as much evidence as there isn't kind yeah. of thing. And I mean, my logic towards it is like, there's no point in putting all your eggs in one basket just keep an open mind mm. and then like so if you die and turns out there is a god or but or something you're like hey I knew there was something I just didn't know which one it was ha. Yeah. Uh, it's like congratulations you won but if I mean if you're out and out atheist and you just don't know anything or don't know anything oh my god no if you don't think there is anything um, then it's 
and and then there turns out to be like a god or butter like, oh. or whoever it is and she's like you got some spleening to do it's an interest <laughs> it is an interesting idea though and i think it's one of those things where like i think you look at it like bleak as possible worst mm. case scenario there's nothing yeah and like but i mean least, if you're wrong it, like if you're wrong and there isn't anything wrong, you'll at never all. know exactly you're you'll, you'll never know yeah. and on top of that you've had something throughout your life that's helped you get through things so yeah. I've always been one of those people I'm extremely accepting of anybody and everybody regardless yeah. of what they believe in that sense once you're not and hurting anybody yeah. or anything like that then you do you whatever makes you happy absolutely this fast this quickly wasn't the news that went away from it the news really quickly I wasn't wanna, we're really really <laughs> out of time and I want to mention one really quick uh, news <laughs> thing here as well before we go just because I think this is going to save rela- relationships yeah. uh, researchers have managed to create a smart pillow it's a noise cancelling snore silencing pillow hallelujah yeah the amount of people who have to put up with partners snoring who That's may not so have to put up with that anymore yeah no I haven't had to deal with that yet mm. and like even when I shared a room with my sister she didn't snore I think I used to talk in my sleep but um, yeah, it's going to come in go. handy. We have to go. Yes. We have to go. Uh, we'll leave you with one last little warning. If you do, if you, <laughs> this is another news thing. If you happen to uh, pick up a, a hedgehog at any point, um, you've been warned against kissing, snuggling, petting, anything like that with a hedgehog because they can spread salmonella. Uh, salmonella. Go. go read up on that if you're interested in it because we don't have time to talk about it. Yes. We got to go. We will see you next week. Enjoy the hedgehogs. But wash your hands after them. Yes.